With traffic, errands, and parking, cars can be a chore. But a great car can be an adventure, a getaway, and a prized possession. Whatever your budget or family require, there's a car out there you'll love. We're here to help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Oh, the questions. We ask for questions, and you guys deliver. This is uh, podcast episode 475. A little bit different for this one. We are going to do all car questions that come from you guys on social media. So we checked all of this, the places, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Mm-hmm. You've hit us on all of them. It's great. We've got a ton of great questions to cover. I should say real quick, hi, how are you? Happy Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. This is uh, headed up on, we just came out of the really fun Lemons episode on TV. You guys had some really good responses on that, and we're headed toward episode six, which is winter driving. We have some good tire questions coming up too. Yeah, very cool. So this uh, podcast exists because we've now started doing big events for the Every 100, the Milestone podcast, and then for every 50, we're starting to do just generic questions, but then the 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 quarter podcast, and that's why we've asked for all social media questions, and you guys have once again delivered. If you've got your own Topic Tuesday, car debate, mm-hmm. or car conclusion, please send to everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. But this is also, well, this is just social media questions today. So yeah, for sure. Lots of great ones. I'm going to start out and dive in from a guy I used to work with, as oh, a matter of really? fact, okay. in the tech industry. Oh, cool. All His right. name's Ian Coates. Ian, how are you? Thanks for writing in. He would love to know, what are the top 10 places in the country where a person of modest means can drive their car flat out hmm. legally? Okay. All right. Good. And Ian is in the U.S. And so, Ian, the top 10 list starts out with Utah Motorsports Campus. Excellent place. Yes. <laughs> then WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Sure. You get the idea by now. Ridge Motorsports Park and Thunderhill Raceway Park. All, all four of those are places that you and I have been. We've driven yeah, on all sure. four of those tracks. Sure, yeah, yeah. And yes, the joke is we do not condone speeding on public highways despite our, you know, laughing about do as we say not as we do is what you're saying is what you're saying i might be saying that that's very funny uh, yeah for for sustained high speed it's just not really possible in the u.s montana actually had some places you can go and in utah there are some places posted at 85 and you can hang out at 94 everyone is doing over 90 Uh, like you can legally do like 91 the minivan beside you the the huge diesel Mm -hmm. pickup everyone's doing over 90 it's craziness yeah but that's not flat out, obviously. Well, but I also wonder about looking up some runway events. If it's just about the speed of it, the yes. most sustained well, thing you can do fact, is the runway events. Say that there is a place in Florida that you can. I forget the name of the runway, but it is. Um, uh, it's it's used as as a matter of fact mm-hmm. for a lot of car testing. Yeah, yeah. And you can sign up and do that, and that is flat out. They do have but, those runway events. It's typically, I think it's more of a thing you see in the south, between. but they're around there. You they, can start they to have runway events for sure. All right, to continue the list, Road America, Road Atlanta, uh-huh. Virginia International Raceway. We've heard great things about Mid Ohio Sports Car Course mm-hmm. and Barber Motorsports Park. Barber, we've heard a lot about, yeah. And then, of course, yeah, yeah. Circuit of the Americas, Austin, Texas. Coda, we really want to do an Austin trip. That yeah. is on the list, I promise, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, the, the runway events certainly are viable, but otherwise, as far as in public, on public highways, not going to be possible. That's yeah. why we love going to Germany. That's why we love taking you guys over there and, and showing you, look, this might be going away. Maybe it still exists for the rest of yeah, time, but yeah, yeah. maybe it goes away. And only 40% are in our understanding yeah. is actually de-restricted Autobahn highway in Germany. Only 40% of the highways are. The funniest moment that you have on the Autobahn is when you're going flat out. I know this is a crazy sentence to start with. When you're going flat out and you've been going flat out long enough that your body settles into that, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So we're going this fast now. It, you get past the initial mm-hmm. rush of, I can't believe I'm going this fast. And now it's just like, this is my speed. That's a crazy, crazy moment. The yeah. faster you go, the, the quieter your passengers get oh, in yes. the car because they might not be used to that kind of speed. And they're just wondering. Are, so you're paying attention, right? Yeah, you're not exactly. just talking and looking down at your phone. Everybody and, in the car becomes a spotter, too, because there's always yeah, that guy sure. that's coming out of the middle lane into the fast lane. Everybody always. becomes a spotter for sure. <laughs> R.C. Lowe's, I think that's what this is, says, is there any reason why Mazda couldn't or wouldn't put a turbo in their Mazda CX-5? If they would, they could just take my money. <clears throat> Get your wallet out. We they have did. the Mazda CX-5 right now. We actually just did a fast blast on it. That's coming soon. The whole thing is they've put the turbo 2.5 liter four-cylinder out of the CX-9 in the CX-5 mm-hmm. and bumped it up from 187 horsepower to about 250 with over 300 pound-feet of torque. It's so it, they've got two extra yeah. top trims now. Now, you can still get the engine before. The engine before was fine, but you can now get yeah. the yeah. turbo goodness in two extra trims above it, the one we had was just under forty grand. With again, it's a press car special, loaded out. Yeah. But if you've been waiting yeah. for the turbo in that CX-5, it's time to check your bank for a loan because you need a <laughs> CX-5. All right, Andrew Jackson on Facebook says, with our recent episode at the Porsche Experience in Atlanta, we stressed that you could do the exact same thing, and yes, indeed you can. Of course, my dad always says. You know, when I was growing up, he says, well, nothing money can't solve. He always, I'm sure some of your parents said the same kind of thing. And yes, you're right. But the point about it was, it's not just come do the experience. Because what we stressed in the episode was that these are professional instructors that will work with you on your driving mm-hmm. skills, mm-hmm. not just to come experience those Porsche cars. Yeah, yeah. So the difference in Headspace for us, and it was really interesting to find this out when we showed up, was... If you just want to come and work on some things, you can tell your driver. It's not just a lap around the block like you would get with a dealership. Sure. Yeah, and they yeah, take yeah, you yeah. on the pre-planned route and you know, hope you like the car and great. They ask you, what do you want to work on? What mm-hmm. matters most to you? This is your 90 minutes. So yeah. let's work on your driving skills. And by the way, we're in cool Porsches, true, which is true, great. True. So you've got to you know, kind of take a different head headspace there. So the prices are, which we did for the 992, Okay. Doing the 90 minutes of the 992 is $500, which okay. admittedly is not cheap. True. But you're paying yes. for 90 minutes worth of an instructor and track time and a variety mm-hmm. of experiences to hopefully come away a better driver and more cognizant driver in that time stretch. Mm-hmm. That's Sounds like a lot of fun to me. Well, think of it this way. If you go to your local track day, and this is this is one of those things that takes some calibration if you aren't, aren't used to tracking. If you go to your local track day, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. you take your own car. Yeah, You do an HPDE session with no instructor. You're going to probably get 90 minutes, maybe two hours worth of driving the entire day. Yeah. yeah. But without, this, a, this but without an instructor. It's good perspective. You're yeah. going to go through your own tires, your own brakes, your own fuel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the case of the Porsche experience. Now, I'm not denying. That's wickedly expensive it's for 90 expensive minutes. for sure. Look at, look at that. However, it's 90 minutes concentrated with an instructor the entire time on a car you can walk away from. Yes. So it's yes, almost a wash with the exception of else's car. Exactly. Almost yeah. a wash with the exception of the fact you get instruction. And I want to add here that if you've watched that Picatel piece, what's interesting is all of the exercises outside of the off-road course, obviously, all of the exercises that we do, they would like to put you through all of them in the car you pick. So if true, I yes. mean they can constant yes. like Paul saying they can concentrate on leaning toward more one or, or the other. But the intention is they want to show you all of those skills in whatever car you chose. So if you wanted to just go, okay, so what's the cheapest car to get into for ninety minutes? You can still hit all those those events. 
You could, or you can chase the GT3 and spend lots of money. Which way do you want to go? You can do all the exercises, get all the instruction, no matter which car. Well, very true. So that 992, that was just the Carrera S. I say just. Because you can go turbo and you can go GT3 above that. It gets more expensive. But what if you did Cayman? And a few of the folks that we were there with, as a matter of fact, they did the experience. At the same time, we were out there shooting the episode. Yeah, yeah. And so the Cayman costs less. And I just say the $500 for that 992. Yes, expensive. But you could do, the, as Todd said, the same thing with a lesser car, a less expensive mm-hmm. car. Totally, totally. And get all that same driving instruction. And then the Cayenne off-road experience, it's really only the Cayenne for that. Yes. That was three hundred and sixty-five dollars. So that really gets you thinking about what a car can do and what tires mm-hmm. can do. That actually recalibrated, I think, both Todd and I more so than the nine nine two. I think the track stuff was great. It was excellent, yeah. But recalibrating our headspace as to what actual mechanicals can do and what tires mm-hmm. can hang on to—that's huge. Neither one of us expected that Cayenne on street tires to do as well as it did. That was really a surprise for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So yes, not uh, not cheap, but highly worth it. Very cool. Very cool. There are so many good questions. Let's go. Let's go here. Alex uh, Mataloni said, what car do we think would benefit from having a manual with a gated shifter? Alex, mm. first off, I want to take a little side note into gated shifters. They're incredibly cool. Incredibly cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They do not uh, lend themselves to fast shifting. They are a an old school slow shifting experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's kind of counterintuitive. Okay. For example, there's a there's a, a gated shifter kit for the Elise, and okay. Vlad who listens to the show, hey man, okay. Vlad has one, and he feels like he made his shifter worse. Interesting. Okay? And the the R8 that had one that we loved, the Mondial that we drove, the Ferrari 550 that we drove, all had yeah. that manual shifter. Yeah. It is a fantastic analog, visceral experience, but it's not like fast shift, throw it around. It doesn't feel like it lends itself to that. I mean, it's not leisurely, but it's certainly not for quick driving. Yes. It's not really for track driving, even though... It's it's much more it's much more experiential than performance. Really I would say for that, yeah. you know, I, I think that's the way it ends up feeling. So I would say to you two things: I don't think gated shifter is key, but I think cars would benefit from a manual. The two at the top of my list: let's get a manual Supra in the world, but above that even is the Alpha Four C. Mm. I think yeah. the Alpha Four C is enough of an experiential car, and honestly, because it's a car that we've talked about, is great at seven eight tenths. I think it might actually play with the gated shifter. Yeah, that's where it's that's just interesting. drive that yeah. car and experience it and have a manual shifter to, to work with it as well. I think that would take that car up another notch. Well, you know, funny enough, we've heard rumors about that car going away, mm-hmm. and that's been a highlight car for Alpha, even though they're not huge sales numbers. No, for sure. And that is a way to give that car more life. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. bring that you car as a out. next generation, if you update the styling or if you don't, but bring that out with a gated shifter, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of enthusiasts that wouldn't have considered that car would now be sort of sniffing around going, all right, now what's this? Yeah, for sure. And that makes me wonder about the Julia, too. I know the Julia is offered with a manual elsewhere. Mm -hmm. It'd be cool to have one here. Yeah, not in the U.S., for sure. It's still crazy fun either way. If you're like us, you're always looking for your next track event. No matter what your skill level, motorsportreg.com makes it ridiculously easy for you to find and register for track events all across the country. With over 7,000 events annually, it is the most complete events listing nationwide. And if you're an event organizer, Motorsport Reg will help you find and fill every event with tools that automate tasks, improve accuracy, and grow participation. Plus, there's a full-time support team who are there when you need them. Learn more and find events today at msreg.com slash everydaydriver. 
There's a question over here from Charlie Ernest asking about the WRX STI lineup. I saw this. He says, what could be done to update these cars and prevent them from remaining stagnant? You know, move them past that point. Yeah, yeah. He says, having lost their main competition, which would be the Evo 10, do you think they should continue on in the current market or move into bigger competitors with a flat six in the STI? Or he says, any thoughts on wagons or hatchbacks being an option again? You've really got me thinking here, Charlie. Okay. And I had to go on Subaru Global's website to look back at their history. Okay. Fuji Heavy Industries has a background and a history based in aircraft manufacturing. Yeah, okay. Now, their early cars were very quirky and tiny and, you know, they would just try a lot of different things. Subaru was known for just trying stuff. The Brat comes out mm-hmm. in the late 70s and they're like, all right, we're just going to try this. A lot of their fun, quirky, offbeat cars were very much that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They served maybe a particular need, but they were not for everybody. Mm-hmm. So what if Subaru kind of continued on with that? Like, you know, they're they're kind of trying to be all things to everybody, but they're not known for beauty. Okay. So two directions, I suggest, for Subaru. Not that they need changing. All right. But again, they're they're known for chunky and clunky and functional, but they're fast. Yeah, and fun in many cases, yeah. But has anybody ever said Subarus are just gorgeous, beautiful cars? Mm-hmm. In the history, look at their history since the mid-50s. Sure, sure. Are they beautiful? It, might that be the differentiator? They have more utilitarian kind of styling. For sure. Always, might yeah. that be a differentiator for the future as okay. we move into different kinds of powertrains? So my two suggestions here are to focus on powertrains. What, whatever Subaru decides mm-hmm. as a corporation, mm-hmm. as a brand, is that electric? It, hopefully anything without CVTs. Maybe they bring back, you know, as you mm-hmm. said, a flat six. Great. Did you know they also designed a horizontally opposed 12-cylinder engine that was eventually used in 1990 in a Formula One car. It never made enough power, but it was still 600 horsepower at 13,000 RPMs. That sounds like a money pit. It was. (laughs) And it it barely qualified one one or two races. Anyway, so it didn't last very long, but the history suggests that they have history in motorsports, of course, Mm -hmm. and F1 a little bit. They've, you know, toe in the pool there. They have a lot of aircraft manufacturing. So first of all, Yes, powertrains and new materials to lighten their cars. Mm-hmm. What if they became the car company that was forging ahead on new material innovation? And I've spoken before about generative design mm-hmm. and light weighting through computer algorithms yeah, yeah, yeah. to select the best thing. You know, maybe it is is all you know industrial additives, mm-hmm. 3D printing. So that's one side of the new new sure. Subaru. Sure, sure. And then over here is beauty. Okay, that would be an entirely different direction for Subaru. Yeah. And you can lean on aircraft as inspiration for both of these material innovations, light weighting, but also planes are a lot of them are just pretty, yeah, beautiful, true, true, true. Yeah, they're aerodynamic, beautiful shapes. So, you know, is the BRZ beautiful? It's nice looking, but as a pretty beautiful car, it's not voluptuous in any way. It isn't, but it's 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 close. I think it's a pretty good looking car. That's probably car. the best example I can think of of a, a beautiful Subaru. So what if they repositioned themselves as the car company that pursued lightweight and strong, beautiful, safe, and long lasting? Mm-hmm. They're already long lasting now, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, innovation in those realms. And then, okay, say they introduce some electric thing, great. Or yeah. if they just continue on with the flat six engines and you know, that kind of thing. Wonderful. They've kind of started to transition themselves more out of the, you know, it's a car equivalent of a hiking boot. 
you know. Well, and they've done well with that. I, I, I they add, have. I want to add have. a couple other thoughts here. This is a great one because I, I noted it as well. Charlie, here's a couple of things to ponder. Subaru has actually been wildly successful in the recent years, okay? So much so that every other manufacturer is going, we should offer affordable all-wheel drive. You know, I mean, this is mm-hmm. really what's happened. Mm-hmm. So they've become the bastion of that, and everybody really loves them, and they are exploding every year in the U.S. because they've made their cars, I hate to say it, more middle of the road. Sure. Okay? And that leads sure. to sales volume. We're talking about a niche car in the WRX and STI. We're talking about the enthusiast-only car. Okay, I think there's two options here. Traditionally, before kind of the current version, it was always the hotted up version of the Impreza or little Outback wagon. Okay, it was the hotted up version. Now they've separated the platforms. Yep, yep. I think there's two options here that I would like to see. Either they merge it back to that other platform, so that you can actually have it in all variations. You can get it in a sedan. You can get it in a wagon. You know, the Forester starts to be a little bit uh, more of the of the alt again. So you're saying you could get the performance version of each. Type the of WRX car. is now actually still merged with that platform of sure. the small Impreza. Sure. And it you can get it in the hot wagon. You can get the STI in the wagon, or you can get the same. You can make those options. Either that, sure. or if they're going to keep it separate, then they need to GTR it. And what I mean by that is look at the Nissan lineup, styling-wise. Mm-hmm. Specifically look at it when the, when the GTR came out. Look at the lineup of the Nissan lineup, and look at how styling weird the GTR looked by comparison. It was this big thug in the room. Of everybody else. Yeah. Everybody else looked normal, presentable, then you had the thug in the corner. Subaru has, for, I want to say like 20 years, they keep dropping this big, thug, angry concept car and says, this is the new WRX. And no, it isn't. And we all look at the big, thug, angry concept car and go, that's awesome, and then wait for the watered-down thing And then they promptly don't build it. Yeah. So let's go GTR with it. If we're going to keep it separate, let's just embrace it. Let's let's take those thug, angry, aggressive-looking concepts and actually make that the car. So you're also saying from the GTR perspective, from a a more expensive performance or just style alone? I'm just saying how stylistically it looked like the angry, weird outcast compared to the rest of the lineup. And And the current WX and STI look like Slightly more bewinged versions of what we already yeah. make. Well, it's interesting because they, their history suggests quirky, outlier, yeah. trying stuff. Where their lineup is today is all things to all people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You could pretty much find yourself in one of our cars and yeah. you could pretty yeah, yeah. much make it work. And the price is right and it's mm-hmm. just going to run. And so they're kind of good for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not what their history suggests. You're right. You're I right. know that's what sales volumes and sales numbers suggest. And I'm yeah. not saying get away from that, but could they start trying stuff? Where would they go from, again, it's it's a you know off-road shoe. Yeah. I, I, I want them to push towards more beautiful personally. I see it. I see it. But uh, you know, they haven't made their brand that. That would be a, a, a total outlier. So we'll see. Ted, Ted Adam Green's asked this question a couple of times. Do we think electric car makers will configure their internal components to give different driving characteristics, such as this electric car is designed to drive like a front-engine car or a mid-engine car or a rear-engine car? Mm. Ted, I honestly doubt it. Yeah. I think, I think what honestly what most automakers want to do is get to the skateboard concept. They want to get to yeah, the packaging. single underneath platform that they can put yeah. every single body style on top of. Look at Volkswagen with their MQB platform, which is kind of the basis for everything they make. Imagine this in the electric world. We're going to make one 
skateboard that is the the chassis and the electric motors and the batteries for everything we make. I don't think, with the possible exception of somebody like Porsche, I don't think there'll be an automaker who's going to like, we're going to make an electric car and we're going to purposely put the weight in this one spot to make it feel like a traditional fill-in-the-blank. I don't see that. I think it's going to probably be we can repackage differently, so let's do so and find the economy of scale. The only way I could see that happening and packaging it differently would be a small size. Because generally speaking, that skateboard size is pretty big. And you need four inches worth of flat rectangular battery on the floor of the car. It's a pretty good size. That's not going to work for Miata-sized cars mm-hmm. yep. or, you know, as you said, Porsche, a Cayman-sized kind of car. So maybe they have to sort of stack up and pile up the batteries into a mass somewhere in maybe. the car yeah, yeah, yeah. that would start to get there. So the only way I could see that happening is if, you know, an automaker says, all right, we want to make something really small. The mm-hmm. first Roadster, the first Tesla Roadster is essentially a rebodied Elise, yeah, re-engineered a, Elise. Yeah, six extra inches in it, yeah. And, you know, they they didn't have a flat floor battery in that car. Yeah, it was yeah, all yeah. piled up where the motor used to be. Yep. And then the motor was, you know, the a new electric motor was repositioned and that kind of thing. So if yep. you want to do something small... You'd have to reconsider packaging, but otherwise, the bigger the car gets, the just more broad floor surface area you've got to work with. Mm-hmm. So that just makes it easy to make a skateboard. But then you have to ask, why would you make a, a similar looking car to the old gasoline engine kind of car? So someone's everything gonna, has to look different. Someone's going to ask that in every one of these meetings. For well, sure. yeah, they yeah. have, and we have boxes. We we've got you're right. Uh, Boxes, yeah. the, the GM, it's the bread and box, the yeah. canoe, and they're just all boxes. <laughs> you're right. You're right. This flat floor and wheels and motors. Up. It doesn't lend itself to beautiful design. It can, mm-hmm. but doesn't mm-hmm. really lend itself as a place to start because you're not sketching a beautiful form over the top of an engine lump. Yeah. Yeah. And then over the wheel arches, you're not doing that anymore. It's just, well, flat floor and a, you know, a couple how, of motors. How many people can we get in there? Exactly. How many, how many ways can we make the seats Look, swivel? It's just, why don't we make a box? Because that you can fit the most stuff in a box. Exactly right. That's exactly where the thinking goes, mm. for sure. Yikes. All right. So, Matthew Immons asks, what is the worst non-alphanumeric car name we can remember? Mm. His choice is the Chevy Citation, <laughs> which is... Pretty good. It's up there. That's a good one, yeah. You know, how about the Maserati Quattroporte? That's that's good as well, yes. Not really too creative. There was also the Cadillac Cimarron. Yes. The Buick Riata. Not good. (laughs) And everybody knows the Chevy Nova, which translated in Spanish means not going. (laughs) And one of the worst of all time is the Probe. It's just, it, yeah. unless you work for NASA or SpaceX or Blue Origin or something, like, yeah. you can't just ever use the word probe. Well, You're just you, not allowed to use that word. When you look at the word. Blue Origin rocket, you say the word probe, you get a little alarmed just as well. Like, anyway, it's exactly. a whole separate thing, yeah. But, you know, the best name ever, I think, is a tie between the Isuzu Mysterious Utility Wizard. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that one. That's right. <laughs> and the Peugeot Partner TP. I think that's, that's a very that's good. a face off between those that's, two. That's excellent. Those are excellent. I've got two that are connected because they're both tire questions. Logan and Ed the sled. Logan says, "Okay, a ultra high performance all season tire like the good uh, BF Goodrich Sport Comp Two all season is it worth getting over a pure summer tire?" And then Ed the sled says, "Other than grip, what qualities are we considering when buying pure summer tires?" Mm. I want to connect these two okay. because. The thing that I shop for, Ed, when I shop for a pure summer tire, and the reason, for example, that I don't put the stock tires on my Elise, besides the fact they're wickedly expensive. I was going to the, say. The other, no, but the other reason is that. because those are honestly light rain and you might spin. They are not 
good in any kind of water. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to drive the Elise in a situation where, and it's happened to me here in Utah, I'm driving along and it was, it was a great day and now I'm in a downpour. Yeah, it can happen all of a sudden. So yeah. I, I want to make sure that my high-performance tire has got good wet weather traction, and that is possible, which comes back to you, Logan. If you're worried about wet weather traction, you don't have to get an all-season tire. You'd be surprised at how good the wet weather track yep. traction can be in a high-performance summer tire. Not all of them are the same. I was going to say, they differ between tires. Yes, because some sure. of them are much more leaning toward being a full track tire, and those, like the, the original Yokohamas on the Elise, have almost no wet traction at all mm-hmm. and yeah. are not forgiving. But something like a PS4 typically is. I have the Indy 500 Firehawks on the Lotus, and they've been phenomenal. Have they been any good in wet weather? Have you? They've been fine. Yeah, I haven't had any Decent. issues. Yes, okay. absolutely, because they've actually got tread. That's why. This is why. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think you can. That's the the key thing I'm looking for because of where I live, and I know that this stuff's going to happen. Besides grip, I'm looking for. I want to have wet weather, weather traction. I mean, you can also just visually see the center channels if they've got one or multiple center channels that are just specifically designed to channel water away because. You can't displace waters. You you have to. I mean, you can you displace it, it but yeah, yeah, you got to yeah. do something with yeah. it. So if there's multiple center channels, like the PS4s that I've got on the Cayman, there's there's two or three, as a matter of fact, down the center, which tells me, okay, so these will be pretty decent rain. As a matter of fact, they've turned out to be actually excellent. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, you can also tell, be you know, from the tread pattern, then okay, that looks interesting. And then now, what does the tire manufacturer say? about their testing and mm-hmm, you can mm-hmm. dig in. Yep. There's a lot of places online where you testing, can see, yeah. okay, so this performance tire, same kind of performance over here, but this one's better f- for wet. And you can actually see it in the tread. Sticking with the tire theme from David Elfring, a couple podcasts back asks, why enthusiasts screw up choosing tires so often? <laughs> why do we screw this up? Okay, all right. You'd think it'd be easy. It says everything from choosing cheap over good fitment and the right type for the job, you know, winners versus all seasons. I think a lot of times it comes down to money. I mean, we want to choose the best. We want to throw down for the best tires, but knowing like, that's more money. I don't think I can do that this month. And Mm -hmm. I just, I really can't. And that might not be really what you're looking for. So you've got to really, it's one of those things where you can't really try before you buy. Of, mm-hmm. of all yes. the, the thing yeah. that we like to do is, well, I like to sit on the couch before I buy it. Can I please just sit yeah. on the couch? Yeah. I like to lay down on the mattress. There's so many things that we can try before we buy, and we like doing that. Ultimately, in some cases, it comes down to experience. Like, you know mm-hmm. what? I got that set last time. I know I'm not getting that. That yeah. did yeah, not yeah. work for my yeah. car. But in some cases, you can look at a lot of tire reviews and say, all right, now what do I get? Just like the last question, I need rain performance. I need a lot of Mm -hmm. wet performance, but I still do need some dry. You're going to have to really sort through what really appeals, what sticks out as the the best thing for you out of that category, and then say, all right, I'm willing to try those. I don't really know of any tire manufacturer that says, sure, after 30 days of driving, send them back. You don't like them, we'll take them off, and we'll give you something different. (laughs) That's the problem with tires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we hold off and hold off until the very last second. We got to make a decision. And then sometimes, a lot of cases, it comes down to money. Yeah. So we think, all right, I can't afford those really nice ones. They sound For great. Sure. I can't afford them. Mm-hmm. I got to go this direction. Sometimes there's a hit. You and I have liked Kumo tires a lot. Yeah. 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 And they've been recommended to us. Yeah. We've both tried them and had good, you know, good success mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. a variety of performance, high performance, yeah, you know, yeah. kinds of tires. I mean, I like different tires for different things. I love Blizzaks. Yeah. They're phenomenal mm-hmm. in the winter. It's like yeah. just Blizzaks. But then over here, I love Michelins, but they're also expensive. Yeah. So, you know, it, it comes down to experience and 
ultimately doing a lot of research. Agreed. And I think before I was even educated on tires at all, I think I, and, and I was taught this by my parents, I think I fell into what is a very common issue with tire purchasing. And that is you're walking into a place buying something that you know on purpose is going to wear out. Mm-hmm. I think we exist in a world where we kind of imagine that most of our car isn't really going to wear out for hundreds of thousands of miles. It's just going to typically run. Right. Okay. Right. But you're buying tires and you know they're going to you're going to wear out. So I think everybody's tolerance is different, but I think you want to figure out, well, what's what's going to keep me from coming back to see you the tire person again? <laughs> How, how can how mm-hmm. how long can I get this tire to last, and how cheaply can I get that long lasting one? Because I just don't want to have to buy this again, mm-hmm. and that yeah. leads to typically tires that aren't that great at kind of anything, but they're long lasting. They're very average and they're cheap yeah. because we're buying a consumable. We don't like that. Then you get to the flip side of it as an enthusiast, enthusiast where you start to think about this is the core of my grip and my feel and my contact patch and my control. Yes, I'm going to wear it out, but shouldn't that be excellent? And then you have true, those two true. camps warring against each other right over your wallet. Yeah, and you think, well, I need it. a quiet tire for commuting. I just want a quiet tire. Well, you know, the tread pattern is going to be different. It's not really going to be engineered for performance. True, I mean, there, there is a balance, but again, it, it comes down to research. And then mm-hmm. over time, as a car owner, you get to know certain brands and you think, okay, the tires that came on that car didn't like them. They they came through and you know they only lasted twenty thousand miles or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying something different based on recommendations from friends, forums, and ultimately people with the same car as you. Mm-hmm. That's what it comes down to. That's great. All right, what else you got? I've got a track daily crush for me for Color Cartel. He didn't even finish it, but I can finish it for him. He said, "Okay, hang on, track daily crush, my Lancer Rally Art." When it was running, the <laughs> Saab 92X, which was essentially a WRX in a Saab suit, and he didn't know a third one. I'll go, I'll go there with you. It's my other all-wheel drive car, the Phaeton. Okay, the okay. three all-wheel drives, track daily crush, and I can take this two ways. Okay, let's 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 just say, for sake of argument, that because the Lancer has blown its engine, it's the obvious one to crush. I get that. Let's say the engine is running. Totally different reality. Uh, the the Lancer is is and was very fun in corners. Not quite as fun as an Evo, but very fun in corners. I would track that mm. and pray that the engine didn't blow and the transmission didn't follow. That would be the track car. <laughs> Believe it or not, I would crush the 92X because you want to daily the Phaeton. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you, you see what like happens? that 92X. And I like the 92X. But if we're wow. going to really unpack this now, if, if, if you're going to go in there with uh, uh, forethought or the ability to see the future and know that the Lancer is going to let you down, then, of course, you just crush that and save yourself the trouble, and you track the 92X, which I also did, by the way. And right. it was pretty fun to track because it was a little WRX wagon. Right. But I do think that the Lancer was better in corners. If you've got more cars than garage space, and we suspect you do, then you need to protect them with a custom car cover from Covercraft. We recommend the NOAA Custom Car Cover. They're each made to fit your car perfectly, and they resist moisture, but they also breathe to eliminate condensation. They've got a four-layer protection for all weather conditions, and they protect your car from UV rays, too. The NOAA covers even have a soft inner layer. They're made in the USA, and they come with a four-year warranty. In the worst winds we've seen, the NOAA cover stays put. I had one on the Lancer, and it kept the paint pristine in all conditions. Paul wore one out over nine years of daily use with his Audi Avant, and people always asked how he kept it so nice. Plus, with Covercraft, you can defend your interior against kids, dogs, spills, and any weekend adventure in mud and snow with custom seat covers from Covercraft. 
Have the nicest car all winter long with help from our friends at Covercraft. You can get 10% off your custom car cover and any other Covercraft product by using the code EVERYDAY right now at Covercraft.com, and it ships for free. Follow the link from our sponsors page or go directly to Covercraft.com to keep your car looking its best. All right, uh, Kyle Burkhart sees my two-bucket wash method and raises me two wash and since bucket for the paint and then a, a wash and buckets for the wheels. Okay. I I hear you. I I oh, ask man. you, how long do your car washes take? Because yeah. <laughs> yours take a while, Paul. I mean, I already know mine take a while, and yes, I still have that video. The video's been shot, and I'm mm-hmm. still working on it. It's still pending. still needs to come out, but... What's cool about that is nothing has changed about my technique. So True. it could have been from 20 years ago. This is still how I wash my yes, cars. Yes, and why they're all awesome. And and let's be honest, dropping a car wash video in the middle of winter is probably isn't great programming on our part, which is why we went, you know right. what, we'll wait a bit. A, yeah, for sure. A little sure. bit strange, but yes, I, I do not have a separate bucket for wheels. I use the rinse bucket, but then the whole point of the video is actually a little bit controversial, and, and you'll see why once it comes out. I love it. I love it. Here's one that I think we could debate both sides. In fact, I'm going to speak both sides. Uh, M5N7HRP3. I don't know what that is. There's there's that 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 jumble has asked this question. Is that a new car name from Lincoln? Po- possibly, yeah. It actually, it's probably going to be the new nomenclature from Infinity. Oh, you're right. Anyway, Infinity. Yeah, so we're moving yeah. on. Best time to teach someone how to drive a manual transmission car. Ooh. Right before you change your clutch or right after you change your clutch. Ooh. Now, I will say, look, I'm going to argue this from both sides. For you as a person teaching someone, you want to do it right before you plan to change your clutch. <laughs> you just let them beat on it, and if they kill it, you know that change is coming and you don't care. True, true. The problem is for the person learning, they're going to want a fresh clutch. Because when you have a worn clutch, there's a, t- a lot more pedal travel until it finally starts to catch at all. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that might instill some bad habits and some weird feel. Now, you as a person that have gotten used to it, that's a weird thing about a clutch. It keeps getting worse and worse over time, but you drive it every day and you don't know. If you're teaching somebody, they're going to struggle with it a little more if it's really, really worn. But mm-hmm. I hate the idea of you got a brand new clutch and now you're teaching your buddy. So there, I almost feel like go ahead and let the last gasps of your clutch be used by the person learning. Because if they can get it figured out then, when you get in a car with a better clutch, it's only going to be easier. Yeah, it's that's a tough one, man. Because you don't want to teach somebody that this is what clutches feel like. Agreed. And then they get in a new car and think, well, this is weird. I didn't learn this way. This doesn't feel right. When in fact, it is correct. But That's the idea still sounds, it's very weird, yeah. Wow, yeah. Because I've had Honda clutches last 70,000 miles. And this is what you, you know, ideally you want. If you drive them, you don't have to baby them, but if you drive them well and you learn yeah, how yeah. to match your revs yeah, and all yeah. that kind of stuff, they should last a while. So, okay, so what you really want is a clutch right in the middle of its life. <laughs> exactly. You know it's still going to last that me for a while before about. I have to replace yeah. it. But exactly, yeah. I'm not teaching this person that here's what old sloppy clutches, that's what all cars should feel like. No, 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 no. <laughs> all right. Uh, what else here? Oh, there was Den16SB asks about trying to learn stick. Here's the options that are on Turo to learn. Okay. Should it be an ND Miata, a Honda Civic Type R, a WRX, or a Jetta? Uh, I, I'm going to rule out the Civic Type R immediately yeah. because you've got so much power going through those wheels. Mm-hmm. And you need to first learn up the clutch engagement and take up yes, before okay. you really apply power. Power is irrelevant. You just yeah. need to know that, okay, at that point I apply power. How much of it that you have when you're mm-hmm. learning don't need a lot of power to learn. Yeah, it's all about balance. Yeah, for sure. So ultimately, it does come down to Miata, 
probably not WRX either, just because of the turbo, because that turbo snaps on and you over rev it, and suddenly you've got way too much power going through the clutch. I think it's Miata or Jetta. I, I think, think it is Miata one of those or Jetta. Are viable. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. I'm with you. Uh, we've got a question here from, you know, I'll do Kevin's question real here. Real quick here. Kevin says, with as light as the Elise is, does it handle differently with the added weight of a passenger? Slightly, but the main place you feel it is under power. When you put mm-hmm. your power to it, you suddenly yeah. go, this car isn't as fast as it was a minute ago. I can really always tell when I've got a passenger. Yes, I can tell a little bit in the corners, but power is very interesting. Here's one we can unpack for a while. Do you see Evan's question? Evan, one spot the Mini. Oh, yeah. Our yeah, zipper yeah. says, to each of us, which was our favorite and least favorite car we've ever owned... And why? Mm. Mm. I think actually you've owned more cars than I have. You Probably. you had a period where you just kind of had some, well, lemon's the wrong word, but you had some <laughs> not that great cars and you just kind of had some high turnover. Yes. I, I got some hand-me-downs and the hand-me-downs were, were then junked. And yeah, there was, a, there was a, a season of that. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Favorite has to be the current Cayman. The GTS okay. is right. the most expensive, best car I've ever owned, mm-hmm. hands down. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. my favorite. But I still actually really miss that first-gen Cayman. Interesting, yeah. Least favorite. Least favorite. Probably the first car, the okay. 1977 Jeep Cherokee that I had. That I can see it. Yeah. was rusting from the inside out because my dad applied sealant after driving it around in the Minnesota winters. Perfect. Perfect. For a week. What could possibly go wrong? Took it back to the dealer and like sealed all the salt into the car. And <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. I love it. So that was educational. You mm-hmm. could watch the gas needle move while you were driving at 60 miles an hour because <laughs> it was that quadra track and, sure. you know, American Motors engine that, you know, loose tolerances didn't get that great a gas mileage. That's funny. Uh, yeah. I, I loved it, but I didn't really love it. Okay. All right. Good answers there. I like that. Uh, I have to say, look, for, for a favorite... I have to say the Elise because for many reasons. First off, it's a, it's a dream realized. It is a car I've wanted mm. since they were new. Sure. Uh, when they came out in 05, I wanted one right away. I got one essentially 15 years later almost. I've had that car almost three years now, which is crazy to think about. I really thoroughly enjoy it. it, is, it it's, it's a magical moment in time car. Mm. However, you're going to be shocked to hear me say this. Over time, I'm surprised at how close the FRS is to that Lotus in my heart. Really? Because really? the Lotus does bring with it a level of preciousness that it requires. And I can't drive it year round. Okay. And the FRS was crazy fun. Not as fun as the Lotus. I'm not claiming it was. But it was ready for anything all the time, all weather, year round. There, was, there wasn't any preciousness connected yeah. with it. So it was just, let's just get in. I don't care what's going on. Let's just get in and drive hard. Let's have fun. And the Lotus doesn't really allow that. Yeah. So that gives the FRS some points, even though the Lotus really is as a driver's car in a class by itself. I like, honestly, as much as it pains me, I love the fact that I open my garage all winter and I go, ah, Lotus Elise. <laughs> there she is. That's, that's really cool. You know, yeah, I hate that I'm not sure. driving, but there's that. And then his worst cars, I have almost a tie there as well. The Caprice Classics my dad had, he never had like a cool cop car version. They were old man cars, and they drove like old man cars. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were my SUV. They were my utility vehicle. I moved, two, did two major moves across country in just a Caprice. The trunks are enormous. Yes, and cars. the back seats were filled, and I couldn't even see. I mean, I, I, so Ugh. that worked. But underpowered, to have a 5.7 liter V8 that was that underpowered is kind of static. I was going to say, wasn't a V8? Oh, yeah. Yeah, with like 200 horsepower. What? It's not good. Not good, oh. yeah. So anyway, Yikes. so there's that. So th- that was underpowered and hand-me-down dad card. And then for a very short season, like not even six months, I had an Audi 90. 
There it is. That's one of the ones that I was talking about. Yes. We had a car die. We needed a car in a pinch. We bought this from a friend of my wife's. We didn't get it for very much. It didn't run very well. I it, And from the moment I started driving it, I was like, this really isn't me. Now, the good news about that car is it was the first time I'd really owned and regularly driven a small European front-wheel drive car. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that experience of it was kind of revelatory because I hadn't had that kind of chuckable, small European car feel before. And I enjoyed that part of it. But I was very glad to see that car go. We've kind of been answering Scott A. Stratton's question here where he's, you know, thinking about something new after having two cars for 14 months and already looking at the next thing. He says there's nothing wrong with my cars, but he wants a new experience. His car is a, is a 2018. He's going to eat about $7,000 in depreciation if oh. he sells it or oh. 10000 if he trades it in. And he's seriously thinking about a cheap car like an FRS. Okay. And so he's thinking, do I get rid of this? The question is, are people in cheaper cars happier because they're, they're not stuck with high payments? And how do you cope with the disease, of course, if you don't have a trust fund? Well, you're, you're kind of coping because you are coping, you know, yeah. the high turnover through cars is a coping mechanism. Yes, you're right. I hate you're to right. say yeah, it. Yeah. And it doesn't just have to be you know, an expensive car and you just have this particular car and yeah. that's it. Surprisingly enough, I've had the Cayman three and a half years now, if you can mm-hmm. believe it. 20, it's crazy. Middle of 2016. Yeah, I didn't expect either one of us to keep these cars this long, and but I we thought, love them both. Yeah. All right, it, it's still in my mind, you know, what's next? I love the car. Mm-hmm. And you're taking our, you know, long-standing advice about not, you know, being totally hating your car to get rid of it. You can still love it and get rid of it. You know, you want that FRS. So to answer your question, Scott, uh, happier? Yeah, I mean... The cheapest car you'll ever own is the one that's paid off. Yeah. And that does make you happy. I I agree. It's tough to think, all right, the car owns me. Mm, yeah, that's awful. I've got my dream car and I'm making high payments and I don't want to drive it because the value will go down and I don't want to do anything to it. Cause... So there's got to be a balance, of course. There's got to be somewhere in the middle that makes, you know... The Holy Grail, like, I can't believe I own this car, but I've still, and and believe me, I am pointing the fingers at me when I say this, <laughs> go drive it. Yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm wanting, you know, what's the upper end of my budget to, I can't believe I have this car and I love it, and I'm still willing to take it out mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. go drive it yeah, yeah. regardless. Yeah, yeah. And that does mean winter, even though I haven't invested in winter wheels and tires because it's expensive. But what is that balance? Mm-hmm. And I think you're on your way to finding, I think you're exploring the outer edges of that for yourself right now. And I think, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think the way to get around the, I don't have a ton of money. How do I do this question is, is this look, any car you buy and you're, you're in the middle of it. Any car you buy is depreciating with the possible exception of Lotus Elise, which has been 30 grand for 20 years. Anyway, no, the, any car you buy, you're probably going to lose money on it. So what can happen here? I'm not, again, not a financial, uh, Recommendation podcast. We are not good for financial advice, but we're good for cars. If, if you have a situation where you've decided this amount of money, whatever that amount of money is, I'm willing to pay this much toward a car payment every month. Mm-hmm. And you aren't concerned about the car needs to hold a certain level of value or it needs to be able to be sold or I need to be able to get out of that car payment. I'm just willing to pay. I'm just going to pick a number. $500 a month toward a car. Mm-hmm. Then change as much as you want. If you can change without that line item of your budget changing, this is how you can not have a ton of money and just keep trading out. That that number could be three hundred. 
This is going to dictate what your car level is. So yeah. if you can, you're going to have to do lots of little math questions here, lots of little loan questions here. But if you have a, I'm not concerned about paying off a car or ever really getting into a situation where I'm not putting that much money toward a car payment, then you can move that car around underneath that payment kind of indefinitely if you're willing to take the hit on paperwork and uh, registration fees and those kind of things. I was going to say, happen every that time. happens each yep, time absolutely. you switch, which is a, it's a big issue. Keep at it. Keep trying to find, you know, what is that sweet spot? And you've got to divorce yourself from, all right, I'm paying all this money again. I can't go drive it right now to taking that step and saying, all right, I'm going to drive it. All right. I get a few more rock chips. (laughs) That sucks. (laughs) I hate that. I hate the thought of it. But you know what? I'm out there driving, living my life. I'm doing it. I'm driving the car I love. Awesome. When we're searching for cars for this show or for our own crazy obsession, our searches always start with AutoTempest. Instead of searching each car site separately, you can enter all your parameters into AutoTempest one time and search them all at once. With AutoTempest, you can enter your search one time and see results from Cars.com, TrueCar, eBay, and many more. Or you can jump to Craigslist, AutoTrader, or CarGurus without entering anything new. They just added a link to Facebook Marketplace, too. Auto Tempest can help you find your next new or used car if there's a dozen in your neighborhood or two in the entire country. So if you're doing your drive homework, you're chasing your dream car, or just looking to feed the disease as we always are, head to autotempest.com. All the cars, one search. Christopher asked a question about his 2013 FRS. He's got 98,000 miles, and he's pretty sure it has the original clutch. He's thinking, I may have a clutch in my future. Uh Uh-oh. He's never done that before. He's never had a a car with a clutch. He needed to do a clutch change. So he's wondering, what do I do? Uh, He said as he's driving it now, what's happening is he cranks it up in the morning, and there's an extra little sound that it's making. And when he pushes the clutch in, the sound goes away. And as soon as I read that, Chris, I went, throw out bearing. His throwout bearing is going bad, oh, okay. so he's going to need to do a clutch and a throwout bearing, which is a common thing. That that noise is very common. So anyway, uh, what I would do is you've asked secondarily, what do I do? I say yes, get your clutch replaced. It probably is a throwout bearing that sound you're hearing, and you've asked, do I need to upgrade my clutch? No, just get the stock clutch again. Go to a mechanic that knows those cars, can get you that stuff, and puts in new parts that are exactly the OEM parts. Unless you'd throw in a bunch of power at that car, and I don't think you have. I think it's pretty much stock. There's no reason to upgrade your clutch. We've been in cars before where, guys, I put in a race clutch, and we get in and push it down once and go, why? <laughs> because exactly. it's awful. It's awful. Yeah, they're not so good. So I think you will actually probably like the car even more, Chris, with the new clutch in it. I would just go with the OEM clutch and be happy. Love it. All right. Nikita Latman asks, what is the single feature seen on cars in the past decade that has improved the driving experience the most? I've got two for you, and they both have to do with transmissions. Okay. First of all, the PDK. Yeah, okay. Good dual-clutch transmissions. I mean, Mm -hmm. really good. And the PDK is... It's right up there. Probably among the best. If not the best, yes. That change how you interact with the car Mm -hmm. on fast, fun, windy roads and also track driving... That has changed your inputs. It's made people faster without even thinking about it. On the other hand, RevMatch has also, I think, made the ability for people to embrace manuals and just enjoy them more, actually, because, all right, you don't know how to heel and toe. You don't want to. You don't, you know, you're not really learning it, not really coming together. That feature alone, I think, has contributed to keeping manuals around. 
I think you're right. I also think that hill hold is in that category. Hill hold is up there as well. Where you have yeah. manual transmission, you take your foot yeah. off the brake on a hill, and the car just sits there and waits for you to get the clutch engaged well enough to start moving so you aren't rolling into the person behind you. That if, yeah. if you have not personally experienced that potential terror, you've, you've dodged a bullet. <laughs> because that sitting on a steep hill with a manual transmission and trying to get off the brakes and into the clutch fast enough to A, not kill the car, and B, not roll into the bumper behind you while they're honking at you in traffic because it's stop and go – that's that's stress you just don't want. Yeah, for sure. So I do like that hill hold. Yeah, those two features apply to manual transmission. That's great. Rev match and hill hold. That's cool. Have kind of made the manual stick around. I think that's a great thought. I really I really like that. Michael Garrett says, "What's our opinion on performance diesels mm. such as Audi or the BMW 335D?" He has an Audi A4 Avant, uh, three liter TDI with six speed manual, and loves it. Michael, here's the thing: diesels are amazing. Same reason that they're amazing in a pickup for the zero to 20, the takeoff off the line, that torque is intoxicating. It's like, whoa, this thing took off. And then you're shifting all of a sudden. Mm. This is the downside to performance diesels is that red line comes up so quick <laughs> that you decide, yeah. oh, I'm shifting. Oh, I'm shifting again. <laughs> and, and they have that, that breath of extra power and then you're already shifting. That's the problem I have with them is I feel like that I just – I want to wind it out. I'm not a guy that loves to wind out an engine, but I'd like to get to 6,500 every shift if I can. I don't need to go to the 8,200 that the Elise has. I mean I, I don't mind shifting before <laughs> then. You know, the, the RX-8s and the S2000s of the world is like, come see 9,000. I don't need that. But 3500 for a shift is a bit early. That's the only thing I don't like. Harold Rosa said he's coming out of a Toyota Tacoma. Okay. He wants to get back into a car, but he, because of where he lives, he says he has to have all-wheel drive. Tires. He has to have all-wheel drive. <laughs> Can we give our top three, top five all-wheel drive good cars? Well, I'm going to say get an all-wheel drive Alpha Julia. There's mm. one. Yeah. Look yeah. at the Kia Stinger. Another really good one, all-wheel drive. Uh, jump in here, Paul. What else? What other thoughts do you have? There's two off the top of my head. Yeah, I was really thinking good. Genesis G70 along those lines. They all do an all-wheel drive they, version. They do yeah, an all-wheel right. drive version okay, of yeah. that, but it's kind of same as a Stinger. Yeah. Um, I, I do like that. Uh, what else? I mean, everything else, you know, in, the, in terms of German cars is not really in the realm of affordability, really. I mean, you know, the Mercedes, Panameras, that kind of thing. Awesome. But, you know, trying to keep the price down a little bit. Depending on your price needs, I will say you're right. The Panamera is phenomenal in all-wheel drive. Yeah. If you And while you're there, if you want to go sports car, Harold, get the Carrera 4. Oh, yeah. Just, I mean, yeah, that true. is a phenomenal sports car that's also all-wheel drive. And it's it's great because it actually keeps the power in the rear wheels until you need it, and it does a great job of moving it around. That, I'm glad you went there because that's really good. If we're going to do all-wheel, all-wheel drive sports cars, uh, R8s. R8s are great. R8s are really good. Mm. If you've got a lot of money to spend, now I'm just throwing it down. If you've got a lot of money to spend, the NSX is a really good one. If we're talking all-wheel drive sports cars. But if assuming we're dealing with sedans, I think we've already mentioned some of the really good ones. I'm trying to think of anybody we're leaving out. Now, granted, you could obviously go Audi. Audi's good in this c- category. I don't find their dynamics as fun as some of the other yeah. things we've mentioned, but they're very good. Yeah. Well, speaking of sedan, there's a question from Melifluis512. I like that. Okay. What sedan does the best job of having a dual personality? One for the commute and one for the back road. Okay. Dual personality. Civic Type R? Pretty good dual personality. It's excellent. The, the, the change of the various settings there is, is noticeable. Yeah, it's good. How about a quadrifolio? I was surprised okay. how well that car rode on the freeway. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then it just, it gets after it. When you, when you flog that car mm-hmm. and you just, you're on it, it just jumps to life. 
I also it's really amazing. It's very good. I also think anything GM with a magnetic ride is way up there because for sure you can dial. Think about the heavy duty Corvettes. You can dial it back to super comfort mode and cruise and float. And now you're on a back road and you crank it down to close to the track mode. And you're like this thing just hunkered. Mm-hmm. That magnetic ride does amazing things to do that situation. Mm-hmm. All right, what else here? I've got Josh's question on on Twitter. He's got a help me pick a greatest hits question here. Oh. Used Evora 400 manual, Mm -hmm. a brand new M2 competition manual. Wow. A used version of the current, the new current model Acura NSX, or a AMG GT from from Mercedes. Wow. Right here, Josh, I'm going to stop and I'm going to say all four of those cars we've driven and love. Mm -hmm. You don't go wrong with any of those cars. Okay? Just so you know. (laughs) I made a mistake. His question is, which one would we pick as a second car for fun? He daily drives a Veloster N. Phenomenal choice, by the way. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. He lives 45 minutes from Tale of the Dragon. So this is a twisty road car. That's its purpose is twisty roads. A fun second car. Yeah. This is where it decided it for me, Josh, because depending upon where you were in the country and the kind of driving you were going to do, I can swing this different ways. But if you're talking about second car only, back roads only, tight, twisty roads, the Lotus wins. The Evora 400 just wins. I'm totally in agreement. I love the 400. I, it suddenly, I've said this before, it suddenly had the build quality mm. that I expect out of Porsches yeah. manifested in the Evora. It felt like they tightened things up and tolerances seemed better and the car was just tighter and drove mm. so well. I'm I'm all about the 400. None, none of those are bad, though, Josh. They're but all good. I love the yeah. GT. Yeah. Oh, man. What a decision. All right. Uh, what else here? Oh, the, you know, low-hanging fruit here. Jared Rose 1 says, you're wearing an Omega Speedmaster Tropical. <laughs> this We're is a watch, on by the way. We're everyone. ending on watches. That's fine. That's what fine. car do you pair it with? Well, this particular watch oozes class, right? <laughs> so, how about a mid seventies Porsche Targa? It's classy. All right. Or a nineteen sixty six Maserati Ghibli, mm, or a okay. Jaguar E Type. All just classy. Oh, I just like that. Oozes just. I don't, I don't need the watch, but I'll take the car. Class. Yeah, I see like it. That. I see it. All right. Yes, tropical. The faces of the watch were tropical brown, so they call it the. Omega Speedmaster. Tropical, tropical brown. Tropical brown, baby. Tropical brown. <laughs> that just feels like somebody just threw words in the air. It was like, those two landed next to each other. Let's go well, with the, that. The faces fade. Anyway, it they're, doesn't they're valuable yeah. and they're expensive. And, all right. Okay, so last question for me here is MacMan3, who recently had the opportunity to sit in a Kia Stinger for the first time. Mm. Is it just him or does that car have very little space for how big it is? MacMan is five foot nine, still hit his head on the ste- ceiling in the back. The trunk seems tiny. I don't remember really spending a lot of time in the backseat of the Stinger. It is pretty good size. You know what car has less than the Stinger is actually the G70. It's good, and we like it, and we recommend yeah. it a lot, but yeah. the G70 actually has a little bit less than the Stinger. I remember this in the Stinger. The Stinger has decent legroom, better than the 370, but it does suffer from a headroom problem because of the rake of that hatchback. Mm-hmm. That does take away yeah. some of the headroom. Yeah. And I agree, the car is enormous and you expect a cavernous trunk. But this is true of any of these cars. Look at the uh, the S5 Sportback, the Audi S5 Sportback. Look at the A7, look at the Stinger. Anything of that shape, even the Panamera, it, it doesn't have a, you don't think, oh wow, look at all the hatch room. Mm-hmm. Because it's got that rake. You open up the hatch, it's got room, but it doesn't have like 
gobs of space. That is inherent to this design. Heck, even the BMW X6 suffers from this problem, where how do you get enough rear seat headroom and a decent hatch with a big sloping rear? You're not wrong, Mm -hmm. but it's an amazing car. Mm -hmm. Okay, I lied. Mystic Negro says, Paul, is there a Porsche tchotchke that I saw and thought, (laughs) yeah, it's too far even for me? Nope. No, I haven't. <laughs> you know what car company has, though, is Ferrari. I mean, do we need kids, children's, like, warm booties for their feet with yeah. the Ferrari branding on them? And we don't. Shot glasses we and really bed don't. sheets and teddy bears to hug. And No, Porsche builds sound bars out of their GT3 exhaust, and you put it on your mantle. I, I, I see. That's I think that's perfect. a bridge too far, but okay. No, All that's right. perfect. All right. Wow, that went by fast. Thanks for your questions, guys. We really, really appreciate them. Hope you enjoyed. Please send us your social media questions on Mondays and Thursdays when we post up for questions. And then at our Gmail, EverydayDriverTV at gmail.com or the website is where you can send your car debates, Mm -hmm. your stories, your conclusions. Hey, guys, I found this car and I'm thinking about buying it. All that stuff. We we love seeing these emails. One of the two of us reads anything you send to EverydayDriverTV at Gmail. You can also go through the contact button on the website, as Paul said. So, yes, hit us up. We are going to read it. We probably won't respond candidly. We do sometimes, <laughs> but we are always feeding the car debates here. We appreciate it. If you're listening to this podcast and liking it, we really appreciate a rating and review. It keeps it in the top ten. Thank you for doing that. That also applies on Amazon, where I promise all of Season 6 is coming soon, and a Vimeo as well. And we're always looking forward to next time. Thanks, everybody. Cheers.